21CL Radio. Happy Monday morning to you, and welcome to the Education Vanguard. I'm your host, Michael Bull. Wonderful to have you here today. All right, with this guest, we're going to go up, 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 way into the stratosphere, because we are going to talk to Melissa Daniels from High Tech High. High Tech High is a well-known brand in the education world, but do we really know and understand their core values and educational philosophy? How does it impact their students and growth of the organization? Today, I talk with Melissa Daniels from the High Tech High organization. Melissa is a director at High Tech High Middle School in Chula Vista, California. Enjoy the conversation. Melissa Daniels, thanks so much for joining me on the program today. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to talk to you about High Tech High. You and I have talked a few times over the past, I guess, six or eight months or so. So I feel like I have you know, a decent understanding of High Tech High. But believe it or not, not everybody may have that same understanding. <laughs> so can you give us the, I don't know, the elevator pitch in a sense about what High Tech High is all about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we are a, a group of 13 charter schools, all um, located in San Diego, California. And uh, we have three different campuses. Each campus has elementary, middle, and high schools. And, um, you know, there are differences among the schools, but really our, our four design principles are what ground the work that we do. And so we're, we're founded on the design principles of equity, authentic work, collaborative design, and personalization. All right. Now, High Tech High didn't start out as a, a bunch of schools. It started out as an, an idea from somebody, and I'm kind of guessing here, so you'll have to tell us the story, right. yeah. somebody who wanted to do education different. And can you tell us a bit about how that all started and the story behind it? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we started as one high school, High Tech High, in, in 2000. And um, and then soon after that, expanded to an, a middle school, an elementary school. But um, but I think, um, you know, one of the origin stories that I like a lot about High Tech High started several years ago back in Cambridge, Massachusetts, when one of our founders, Larry Rosenstock, was um, he'd graduated from law school and didn't want to do law. He was teaching carpentry, actually, at a, a high school, a sure, comprehensive sure. high school in very Cambridge. Similar. And I get that. Yeah, yeah very similar. And um and when when he was there doing that work, he befriended a, a colleague, colleague Rob Reardon, who was teaching honors English. And you know, Larry was teaching his carpentry students down on the first floor of the building. Rob was teaching his honors English students on the third floor of the building, and those those students never interacted, and Rob and Larry never interacted. Um, but but after a while, they they got to know each other, and I think they, um, you know, in talking about their work, realized that. Larry's carpentry students were learning to do really interesting things with their hands um, and and producing a lot of really great work. Um, but they did not have access to the college preparatory work that Rob's students were doing. And, and Rob realized, you know, his students had all this access to rigorous academic work preparing them for college, but they weren't learning to, to make anything and, and do anything with their hands. And so um, I think the the idea of a school at which students 
would do both of those things. They would not have to be on a college track or a vocational track, but rather would would learn to use their minds and their hands well um, in, in the same class. That idea was born. And then uh, years later, Larry had relocated to, to San Diego. He was working for... Um, the Price Charitable Organization and and the, some of the the business leaders in San Diego, specifically the leaders at Qualcomm, um, were having a really hard time finding quali- uh, qualified applicants um, for those right. technology positions. And so um, so then they reached out to Larry, and uh, and they started dreaming up a, a school that would better prepare students for. Uh, the 21st century and, and kind of the changing economy. Um, and so Larry brought Rob in and, and then they together they all founded High Tech High. Okay, so uh, it, what I find really interesting what you talk about here and what you talked about a little bit in the beginning were the design principles that you mentioned as it's something to uh, rally around. So you know, typically a school will have a mission statement like we we do our best or you know we will try harder or we'll continue to work hard or whatever it is. I, I'm not mm-hmm. doing very good examples. But why did they decide to incorporate four design principles? I don't think I know of any other school that does that. Well, I think... You know, I mean, I think it's important that we have a really clear vision of what it is we're trying to do, you know, and um, and I think that to be successful, you know, you want to keep innovating and to try new things, but the things that you're trying and experimenting with have to be in service to this clear mm-hmm. mission that you have. Um, and so, you know, Larry and Rob, sort of in the, the interim between the two experiences I shared earlier, in that interim, they were traveling around the country studying um, successful high schools as part, as part of the new urban high school project. And, uh-huh. and, and they started developing, um, you know, some qualities of these successful schools. Um, I think the one, the one that surprises a lot of people, you know, given the name high tech high, you know, people mm-hmm. kind of focus on the technology piece of it. And, and while we do, we have good technology, you know, we, that t- technology is simply a tool for learning. It's not sort of what is at the center of what we're doing. What is at the center is equity. And we want all students to have access to, you know, rich, deeper learning experiences. Um, and so, you know, the, the equity design principle is at the top of the list for a reason. And it's something that really anchors us in the work that we're doing. So does that come from uh, the past where you had one student working in woodshop and another student doing a high-level English and never the two shall meet? Exactly. Okay. So the equity is that you can do both nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting because everything was so tracked before, but now we're understanding that how important design is and working with your hands and all those things to actually creating and building something in the future, which seems to be where our students are going to have to go. Absolutely. So can you... you, you, Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I was just just a, a personal story, you know. I when I was in school, growing up, I was a, I was a good student. I did well in school, and I was in a gifted program when I was young. And I remember even as early as I think fifth grade, um, thinking about you know all the cool things I got to do in my gifted and talented program that my colleagues back in my general education classroom, my regular classroom, they didn't have access to those things. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking as a 10 year old, 
this feels unfair to me. Like, why do I get to do all this cool stuff um, <laughs> when I go to this other school and they aren't getting to do these things? And so I think for me personally, that's a, that's another part of the equity piece that really resonates with me is that, you know, I think a lot of schools focus on designing really rich learning opportunities for the students that they've identified as gifted and talented. And one thing that we're really trying hard to do is to provide that same level of of rich learning experience for all students, no matter what their sort of perceived ability level is. So that's the other equity piece that we that we work hard to um, to achieve. And what were the other three? Uh, can you remind me again? Uh, design principles. Yeah, authentic work, collaborative design, and personalization. Okay, got it. Now we, uh, you and I, talked to and I understand what's important to you is the authentic. Well, I'm I'm sure it's all important, but that authentic work is really interesting to you. Can you explain what that means and what it looks like practically in the classroom? Yeah, I mean, I think you know the tradition at a traditional school, a lot of the work, the the sole audience member of that work is the teacher. You know, and I think um, as you increase the authenticity of the audience, you you increase the motivation of the students. And so, you know, have this one experience where students create work that they turn into their teacher. And then um, and, you know, there's another level where students are creating work that they're sharing with their school community, which we do a lot at our school exhibitions. And Mm -hmm. they're sharing with other classmates and teachers and family members. Um, Sort of you have a next level of that authenticity where they're, they're uh, exhibiting their work and sharing that work with professionals in the field um, related to the type of work that they're doing, you know. So if you have students working on an engineering design project, they're presenting mm-hmm. that project to engineers. And then you have students who are producing work that's for the larger community, that's sort of in service to clients or community members. And so as the authenticity of that audience increases, we've found that the uh, the motivation of the students to do well on those projects and to produce work that's really high quality, that increases as well. So that's, yeah, that seems to be very powerful. How, was it difficult to create authentic learning opportunities like that on a regular basis? How do you do it? Yeah, it it is challenging. And, you know, not every project that happens in our schools is of service to the community or clients, you know, but that is something that we're, um, we're looking to and um, and that we try to achieve. You know, um, last year, to provide an example, our seventh graders did a year-long project called Meals and Muppets where they designed um, original Muppets inspired by the work of Jen, Jim Henson. And then they uh. wrote, they wrote and storyboarded and filmed, acted in uh, a, an original film um, that they created over the course of a year mm-hmm. that they, um, they screened for their, uh, their elementary school buddies and a larger community. And it was all around, um, healthy choices, nutrition, um, exercise, and different ways to stay healthy. Um, and the fact that our students, they knew they were creating that film for, their kindergarten buddies who they had gotten to know. Um, so there was a, a face that they were trying to produce this work for um, that, that really sort of changes their, their investment in the work. 
Um, we have at our elementary school, we have students doing a project called Toy Story where they create, um, third graders are creating original toys using laser cutters and sewing machines and other things mm-hmm. um, for, for preschool buddies um, oh, nice. who are at a, a nearby preschool. And actually the students at this school, um, their families have been impacted by de- domestic violence. And so the, you know, the third graders know that they're, they're creating this toy for a four-year-old. Um, and so there's that real client and that, um, you know, it, it, it motivates them to learn the math and the design skills and the literacy work that goes into to creating that toy. Um, that motivation is there because they're creating for, for a real person. So there's this external, which probably becomes internal, a reward in a sense that they feel by completing the work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the other uh, design principles that you mentioned was personalization. And that seems to be more attainable nowadays because of technology. We I mean, there's things like Dreambox for math and lots of other stuff that seems to be coming online now. Is that is that one of the ways or the way that you are able to push for personalization or do you have other methods as well? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it's not the way. I think there's kind of a difference in the way that we view personalization okay. from the the way that people often talk about personalized learning. Um, so our, our design principle of personalization is around meeting every student where they're at. Um, and um, so we have a full inclusion model where we have all of our students in classes together. They're not Mm -hmm. tracked by perceived ability level. Even Mm -hmm. our students with special needs are in the general education classroom. Um, And so we design projects that have kind of multiple access points for students um, so that they can be successful. And so we do use some sort of personalized learning programs um, like Khan Academy and other software programs um, that that help with that personalization. But our projects are really... um, in for the most part, they're shared experiences. So it's not like each student is doing their own project. Um, Though we do, uh, mm-hmm. sort of related to our collaborative design principle, we have students, we, a lot of student voice in the projects that we design. Um, we collaborate with students to design those projects. But but the projects are a shared experience with multiple entry points for student interests. Um, yeah, so the personalization is really just sort of meeting students where they're at academically and with their interests and passions. All right, so it's totally different than what I was referring to, which is the, you know, the technology that has this algorithm that changes and adapts along the way, et cetera, et cetera. You're talking about creating almost like personalized lessons for each student or for groups of students, depending on whatever entry point they can come into. Right, right. All right, that's pretty interesting. And then that's something I w- would make me want to ask you then about school culture, because that doesn't sound, well, it sounds fun and interesting. It doesn't sound easy. I, you know, it's a lot easier for me just to turn the page. Here's the next lesson. And when somebody doesn't get it, I say, you weren't listening. So mm-hmm. how, what kind of culture do you need to have that is more interested in taking, a, a, I guess, a, more of a global approach to the learning for the classroom or the students in the school as well? Uh, what kind of culture do you need to have? And how do you find people that, that meet that? Yeah, well, I think uh, you're right. Our culture is extremely important. And I think when visitors come to our schools, and and we have a lot of them each year, they often share with me that they are most struck by 
the culture that they that they feel in the school and uh-huh. and the ways that adults and students are working together and and the joy and and passion that students seem to have around their work um but i think that you know they it the collaboration piece is essential we we can't do this work in isolation uh-huh. uh, we can't develop these these rich projects on our own we have to work with each other and we need the voice of our students in that work um, and so I think the, you know, we're looking for people who are, who are eager to collaborate and who are willing to take risks um, because, mm-hmm. you know, most of us went to schools that are more traditional. We didn't, we ourselves did not go to right, um, right. progressive project-based schools. And so um, f- for all of us, even those who, of us who are really invested in this work, it's uh it's not what's sort of ingrained in us. Um, and so there's this sort of constant um, need to resist the regression to the mean or the regression to sort of what we're used to. And so we are looking for people who are willing to take risks, who are willing to experiment, who are willing to um, be really transparent about, you know, what's going well, what's not going well, what they need to change. Um, and so the collaboration and the reflective piece is, is really important. So one of your interview questions is like right out the gate is how many mistakes have you made today? (laughs) Yeah, but we, we do, we do, we are looking for people who are willing to, um, you know, you have to be sort of vulnerable to do this work, I think, because, um, you know, there's not a textbook telling us what to do, um, we are, you know, almost every project is sort of uncharted territory. And so, um, you know, and so we're working on, on that together and we're, you know, we're being really reflective about it. I think the other part of our culture that is striking to a lot of people and certainly important to our, to our work is, um, the respect we have for what students can do. I, there, there was mm-hmm. someone who, who spent a lot of time in our schools and, and wrote a lot about our schools. And one thing that he said was that at, at most schools, at, at you know every school, the, the mission is to prepare students for the future, for life after right. school. And, and he wrote that at High Tech High, we have that mission, but we also have this profound respect for what students can do right now. We, we think that students are capable of contributing meaningful work to the world around them now, whether they're in second grade or seventh grade or they're seniors in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, that respect for what students can do, I think, is something that, um, that you feel when you're walking through the halls of our school. So, Melissa, let's say I'm. Well, you guys have this culture. You have this, these design principles. You have authentic work that's going on. And if I'm coming from a school, an existing school that doesn't have that, and I want to start making the shift towards that direction, uh, something you know, culture like you talked about earlier has to change. And, and in some ways, I feel like High Tech High had an unfair advantage to me in that you could you could get people and start the culture that way. But what if I have an existing culture? What are some of the steps uh, that you could would suggest? to me towards pushing my existing culture towards something that has more of a culture similar to what you have. Yeah, so I think you're right that we do, we do have an unfair advantage in that we opened our schools from scratch and were able to hire only the people who were really invested in doing this work. But 
That being said, we work with lots of schools all over the country and the world um, who are trying to shift toward um, some of these more project-based practices. And one of the things that we often ask people when we start that work with them is to think back to a significant learning experience inside or outside of school. And, and every time we ask people to reflect and share on these experiences, mm-hmm. um, you know, no one is sharing the experience of taking a really hard test. Right. Um, they are sharing experience, experiences that involve collaboration, mentorship, making something, contributing to the community around them. Um, doing work that's really meaningful for an authentic audience. I mean, these are some of the themes that people very consistently share when we ask that question. And so I think when you ask people that question, it sort of um, is often an aha moment for them um, that if we could just create more of those significant learning moments, um, you know, we'd be doing students a great service. I think um, another piece of advice I would give for people is to, you know, in any school, you're going to have, you're going to have some people who are really, really passionate about doing this work. Some people who are kind of on the fence, but are sort of interested. And then some people who are very resistant. And I think obviously, you know, starting with the people who are really invested in it and excited about it and to help them, you know, develop a really cool project, um, or to take a risk and do something really different and have students exhibit that work. Um, you know, when, when other colleagues who might be a little more dubious or skeptical of, mm-hmm. of projects, when they see the work that their colleagues are producing, when they're seeing the, um, the excitement of the students and the motivation of the students and also of the teachers, um, you know, I think that that's often really inspirational for people. And so I, I would advise people to, you know, start with the people who are already on board and then others will will see the fruits of their labor. In a sense, that's like giving freedom to create a pilot within the school to test things out and see how it, how it fits and how well it works. Yeah, and a lot of the schools we work with choose to start with, with a pilot school within a school. Do you recommend that as the most likely best way to go for most people? Um, I, you know, I can't say for most people, I think different contexts are, are, you know, people are going to need different things. And, but that is, I think, um, that that's certainly a way that a lot of schools have approached this. And I, I know that they've experienced some success with that. All right, Melissa Daniel, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. This interview was brought to you by 21st Century Learning International. Find us on the web at 21clradio.com.